Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. We are continuing on in our series about light, and what we said last week is that life is complicated. That being said, what complicated means in our minds, or the way we defined it, was that there were problems that we could not solve, and there were people that we could not control. And there were expectations that we could not meet. And then when we get to this time of the year, we're at this place where it's really hard to, you know, as you're, you're thinking of your goals, some of you, it, it, you feel this weight because you're still at the same place you've been maybe the last five or the last three years, and it becomes overwhelming, and life gets dark. And yet what we said was in John 1.4, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So that life is not found in life. Life is found in Jesus. The fullness of life is found in Jesus. And that is the son of God can give us not only illustrate life as it is intended, but a relationship with him is life in full. We don't want life on a quarter. We don't want half of what life is intended to be, but we want an abundant life, a full life. And what we want to be, we talked about phototropism because your boy Googles, and we said that this was when you put a plant in a room. And what happens is that plant, if you move it away from light, it will naturally extend its branches to wherever light is because it wants to experience the fullness of that light because in the light there is a full life. In the same way, we want to bend our lives towards the light of Christ. And we look at the full circumference of our lives and we want to yield every area to him. Amen? And so as we begin and continue on talking about the Christmas story, like any story, there are heroes and there are villains, the good guys and the bad guys. And if you've ever had a chance to really look and pause and reflect at the stories that we see, there's always these moments where we tend to relate to the hero, certainly, but sometimes we relate to the villain, amen? We, we see this villain and we're like, man, I, I, I see a part of him that I think I could connect to. I mean, man, I mean, we all went to Wakanda this year, praise the Lord, amen? We went to Wakanda and in going to Wakanda, we got a chance to hang out with Eric Killmonger and when you saw Killmonger, there was a part of you that if you saw the story that he grew up in Oakland, but his dad ended up, you know, he, he got into this controversy as his dad and, and ultimately he wanted to see vibranium spread all throughout the world, but he ended up killing folk. He ended up going out of control. You, you see another great story, a Christmas classic, uh, The Grinch. I'm talking about the 2000 version, all right? And that's with the Jim Carrey. They clapped at the four o'clock too. I was not expecting such joy from this story. Your boy, your boy, the Grinch, he, he was in Whoville. He was a little boy in Whoville, it says. And one time he saw this girl, he gave her a gift. He tried to shave off the hair of his face and then they started laughing at him. And in the middle of the story, I'm sure you watched it while they were teasing him, you felt bad for him. And then he ended up going up to this mountain and he became the Grinch because they made fun of him. And you sat to yourself, I, I, I get why you became the Grinch. I feel you, Grinch. You watched Black Panther and you kind of understood why Killmonger was who he was. And in the same way, although we look at villains, 
One of the things about villains is that they always have ambition out of control, right? They want what they want, and they have to have it, and they do whatever it takes to get it. And if we're honest, for many of us, that is one of the greatest challenges we have, that we have these goals that we've set over here. And then we have the word of God, life as God has planned or intended for us to be. And sometimes what the life that God wants for us and the life that we plan, sometimes they don't mesh. I mean, we worship the Lord. Don't get me wrong. We love God. We love the Lord. We come in here and we're just like, God, you are the way. You are the way. You are the way. But then we have a relationship. We know we have no business being in. It's like, you are the way, but you're in the way. Move out the way. Come on, Jesus. Move out the way. Move, Jesus. Anyway, don't go with You want him out the way, right? Because he's getting in the way of your plan. He's getting in the way of the the dream that you had. And this is the tension that we have. I mean, we want to preserve our lives, protect our lives. We want to control our lives. We want what we want when we want it. And we realize this issue is an issue of power and control. We know that we cannot manufacture our lives. We know we can't make everything work out right, but we've seen other people network. We saw them how they did their thing. We, we saw how people ended up in relationships, and we want to mimic a certain pattern. In other words, we want things to work out. And we feel this tension because we know that with God there is unlimited capacity. We know that if we were to walk with God, he could multiply our capacity. We know that all power is with the Lord. But when we get to the specific areas of trust in our lives, this is where we feel the tension. The story we're going to see is a person who was a king but was threatened by another king. And that's the story of our lives. That we run our lives like a king. And sometimes Jesus breaks in and threatens our kingdom. Old Herod. Oh, Google Images gave me this image. I don't know <laughs> if this is how he looks. I doubt that's how he looked, but it's theatrical and you'll remember it. Herod the Great, they call him. Herod, he was the client king of Judea. He was essentially the king of the Jews, you know, de facto, because he was part of the Roman Empire. But he always wanted to be heralded. In other words, he wasn't a Jew, but he wanted the Jews to like him. And so one of the things that he did was he built them a temple because he wanted the Jews to feel for him. And so he did all these building projects. He, he was an incredible politician. He was an ambitious builder and an organizer. But his goal was fame, eternal fame. He wanted to establish his lineage. But maybe like Herod, maybe like me and you, he had a goal, and any time he saw that goal become threatened, he became paranoid. That fear set in. The brother had nine wives. His second wife, he became suspicious of. So he killed her. And then he killed the sons that they had together. 
Then he killed her brother. Then he killed her grandfather. Then he killed her mother. He would kill rabbis when he felt they were coming against his name. He killed two other sons who he wanted to make king, but he became jealous of them. In fact, he was going to give the kingdom to another son. He was like, nah, I'm good, dad. You just, you be killing folk. <laughs> but listen to this villain, and maybe you can relate. He was consumed by trying to control his future. But trying to be in control of everything only caused more chaos. And then Herod got old. He had a kidney disease and he was dying. And five miles down the road in old Judea, he hears about this toddler being born. It says in Matthew chapter 2, it reads this way in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men. Now, we understand these wise men are often called magi or they're called kings, but they're essentially astrologers who are looking at the light and they're following this star. And as they go, they arrived in Jerusalem saying, now listen to what they said. Now, knowing the backdrop, here, here's what's happening. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising, and we have come to worship him. Now look what happens in verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed. Why was he disturbed? Church, because kings aren't born. You become a conquering king, or you become chosen as king. But you don't just wake up in the morning and you decide you're a king. You're not just born a king. You can be born a prince, but you cannot be born a king. So he's sitting there like, born a king? Do you know how many people I've had to schmooze to become king? Do you know how many people I had to kill become king? And he's a born king? Who is this man? And he is disturbed by it. And it says all of Jerusalem is disturbed with him because they know when he goes off, people die, right? <laughs> And so there's this king that's born, born. Verse four, so like a villain, he assembles all the chief priests and the scribes of the people and asks them where the Christ would be born. Well, he, it says in verse five, they say to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this was written by the prophet. Remember, he is not of Jewish lineage, but he ends up, being the leader of the Jews, but he doesn't know the scriptures. So it says, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And they're quoting Micah chapter 5, verse 2. So the people are like, yeah, that's over in Bethlehem. Yeah, we've read about this. We've heard Messiah was coming. We heard that there would be one who would end up taking out all of Rome. We heard there would be one who would have a conquering kingdom. We heard about it. And we believe this might be this guy. Well, then Herod, verse 7, secretly summoned the wise men like a good villain 
and asked them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report to me so that I too can go and worship. Look at this lion. (laughs) I want to worship. Verse 9. After hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star had been had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. Verse 10. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Verse 11. Entering the house, they saw the child. They see the star. They see the house. They see the child. Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The Magi, these wise men, they're astrologers, and somehow, we don't know, somehow they understand that the stars are aligning and are causing them to see this king, this born king. And they go and they search And they ultimately come to this house. And you know what they say in verse 11? They worshiped him. Now you notice there's no songs being sung. And sometimes we can presume that worship is singing. Actually, singing is a byproduct of worship. Worship is a posture of our hearts. It's actually ascribing someone great worth. And then whether it's following them or submitting to them or singing to them or offering them gifts, those are all aspects or they are responses to how awesome you believe they are. So they come and they worship and they say, you, you are the one we want to worship. And they yield their lives to this little toddler king, to this baby. And they acknowledge his power. You want to cut through your control issues? You know, you have a, another stage of your life that you know you need to yield more to God. You know there are compartments of your life that you want God to enter into more. The way to cut through those issues of control, that need for everything to work out, that fear you have, it is to worship. It is to trust God more than yourself. I mean, be quite honest with you. The person that feels they're running their life well has no interest in God. Why would you invite God into a well-managed life? You know, the Bible says he chose the weak things of this world to shame the, shame the strong. In other words, God, many of us, when we tell our story, it ends, it ends up, or rather, it starts off with calamity and chaos. I was a mess. I was a wreck. And the Lord brought me through. Why? Because we come humble. We come like these magi, bow down, saying, you are the one. You are greater than me. You run my life. A well-managed life is one that is uninterested in a God running it. And so in many ways, here you have this issue of control. 
of giving God total control. And it is not natural to give anybody control, much less God, to give them control. Because to give people control, we must have a level of trust. We must say, you, 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 the way you do things. And yes, certainly, you know, when you go to a mechanic and they're explaining, you don't know everything they, they're talking about. But you, you give them some trust, like, you know better than me, so, you know, go for it. And you pretend like you know what they're talking about. You nod your head, but you don't know what they're talking about. And you go to the doctor and they explain it and you ask follow-up questions. But you're not totally certain of what they're talking about. And yes, some of you read the terms and conditions before you, you okay the Apple product, but not all of us know. So there are some areas of our lives, or if we're honest, we give more trust than we're honestly open to say. Like, we trust in some things. We have faith in some things. And what the difference between the Lord is, is he's saying, I want total control. And what the Lord says about himself in Isaiah 55, me and you are different. (laughs) Like, you run your life away, and I could run it better. I mean, you see yourself a certain way, and I see you differently. I mean, you see your future, and I've already seen it. You, when, when, when you were born, God already saw your death. You see, God is sovereign, and he knows all about you. And so this is what the Lord says about himself, Isaiah 55. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Isn't that helpful the Lord says that? I mean, just think about that. Like, because, you, you know, there are people you think that think like you. You know what I'm talking about? The Lord's like, I don't know what you're talking about because I don't think like you. <laughs> Could it be that God has a more elevated way of thinking? Could it be that God actually has ways and thoughts that are beyond our comprehension? The scriptures talk about him being able to do things beyond our imagination. He says, this is what the Lord declares. Verse 9, for as the heavens is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are, are, are in the same way higher than your thoughts. And so as the, the earth and the heavens, uh, from what we know, scientists say that that's about 65 miles apart, meaning that if you were to try to look 65 miles down the road, you can't see that far. If you were trying to hear something 65 miles away, you can't hear that far. The, the reality is, is that you cannot fully understand the power of the Lord, the knowledge of the Lord, the wisdom of the Lord, the dynamic way he creates, the way he intervenes. God's ways are higher than our ways. In fact, some of us still use this concept of God being a higher power. If he's a higher power, why don't we tap into him? I mean, if we trust that his ways are better, why don't we always tap into it? If we trust him for the full circumference of our lives, each slice of our lives, if we, why don't we generally yield to him? Because it's easier to shield your life than to yield your life and to give your life over. And part of that, part of that tension is that when you operate with a full sense of trust in God, God, It is, you know, many people call it the upside-down kingdom. It's like opposite of what you believe. I mean, if you want to be seen and you want to operate with God, it's better to be hidden in his presence than to be seen before men. But you say, oh, I want want my, God, I I want your glory to be known, but, man, you know, I want to be famous. I mean, some of you want to be famous. But if you are circumventing God's ways to be famous. Everybody's applauding except the Lord. 
Think about that. Because on, on some basic level, you are saying to the Lord, the Lord's like, my ways are higher than your ways. He's like, but my ways are better. Think about you telling the creator of the world, I'm going to do this area of my life better than you. Think about the psychology behind that. Think about how much you are hoarding your ways from the Lord because you are afraid if you were to let go, he would take away your joy. You, we, the reason why we don't yield areas of our life is because we believe that life with God is not as good as life on our own. And it's a tension that we have to operate with. And so King Herod, he wants to take this king out. Get out the way, Jesus. Move, Jesus. Get out the way of my life. Don't disrupt my kingdom. Don't interrupt my plans. Don't get in the way. Being warned in a dream, verse 12, not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Verse 13, and they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, get up, take the child, his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and escaped to Egypt. Verse 16, then Herod, when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, he flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all the boys and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. Look what Herod does. Herod decides, I'm going to take out anyone near this young boy's age. If I can't find out who he is, I'll kill every boy in that town. And he flies into a rage. His paranoia makes him go out of control because he cannot have control. And you're like, oh, look at that villain. Well, let's look at us. That here, you know, we may not take out a whole town. We may not destroy little boys. But there are parts of our lives that when people start shining a light, oh, you go off. I mean, there are segments of relationships and people that when people shine the light of Jesus, you get upset because you're having to yield the control of your life. The scriptures talk about a righteous man loving a rebuke. The scriptures give us this insight that, that we want to confess our sins one to another. The scriptures are trying to tell you, walk in the light as Jesus in the light and you will be exposed 
In other words, the, the Bible is saying that instead of hoarding and getting upset when people say, hey, you know, we haven't seen you in a while, why aren't you coming to fellowship? It's like, well, don't get in my business and you go off and you fly into a rage. Why? Because you want control and you don't want to be exposed. And you say, get out of my business. And you hoard people off or you, you push people away. And in many ways, we feel that tension. In verse 19, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph, uh, in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, get up, take the child and his mother, go to the land of Israel, because those who intended to kill the child are dead. Herod dies an old, paranoid Man, even at his very death, he still wanted fame. It consumed him. Historians tell us that Herod set it up so that when he died, he would invite some of the more noble men of the area to be murdered at his funeral so that the entire city would grieve. You say, that's crazy. But it is amazing. One of the things, um, you know, being 42, my peers who are in their 40s, in their 50s, cynicism, fear, this need to have a name, make a name, don't think it stops at 25 or 35, oh no, it'll go with you to the grave. This need, this, this thing you have inside of you where you're constantly looking around, wondering when is your time gonna be, when are you gonna be more known, that thing inside of you where you say, well, I'm having a quarter life crisis, a midlife crisis. This brother had a crisis till he was dead. They, where he was constantly wanting more to the point where he took people out. This huge need to have more people accept him. This is what he wanted to control, to have his name be known. And tonight, there might be an area of your life where you could easily identify and say, Father, I have not yielded this area to you. I still want my fingerprint on this area. And some of you could even say, Father, altogether, I am not yielded to you. And wherever that area is, it is an issue of trust. Trusting his way above your way. And the reason why it is hard to trust is because we believe that God will bust into our life and just like Herod, take away our shine. Take away what we've had. Take away our power. And we're afraid. And that's why sometimes it's hard to walk in the light. John 3.20 says, Everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it. You avoid those conversations. You avoid accountability. 
You avoid the people who you know are mature because you want to keep doing what you're doing. And when you hear you're doing the wrong thing, you fly into a rage because your deeds are exposed. But I'm so glad that the way that Jesus intervenes with light I mean, you ever see one of those interrogations like on those shows where they put the light on the guy and say, tell us where the money is. And you're just like, I don't know where it is. And they just have this. Like, that's what we think. We're exposed. We've been caught red-handed. And that's what we feel like God is going to be. If I hand over more areas of my life, God will expose me, i.e. embarrass me, make me feel like a fool. Oh, but I'm so glad. Um... My father, I would, uh, my dad would be like, hey, hey, when you get tired, go to bed. Don't, be, don't, be, don't lay on this couch. I'm like, okay. And so my father, uh, as to punish me, would come downstairs and he would just get a light. He'd turn it on real bright. You remember those, you know, those lights that it's like a soft light, then a medium light, then a real bright light? My pops would pump that thing all the way up like, hey, 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 you know where you are? You're downstairs. I told you. And he's like putting the light. And I'm like, oh, God, daddy. And I just, you know, and it took me, it would take me a minute to like gather myself. And he's still yelling. And I'm like walking upstairs. And he's yelling at me the whole time. And I'm just like, oh, God. And he's like punishing, like it's punishment to get me up and punishment all the way upstairs. I'm like, good Lord. But I'm so glad that is not how the Lord Jesus is. I'm so glad it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. See, the Lord is more like my mama. See, my mom, she would turn on the light, right, real soft, like that first click, like, she was like, hey, hey, baby, hey, you know you're not supposed to be down here, right? I'm like, yeah, I, I know. She's like, it's time to get up. And I'm like, mom, just chills. She's like, it's time. And then... She wouldn't just tell me what to do. She would guide me. She'd start to take me. And then I'd get up and my body would be real limp. And then we'd start walking up the steps. And then she'd put me where I was supposed to be. And that is what it means. That's what you call good exposure. I want the doctor to expose me. I want the mechanic to expose I want to be exposed by the goodness of the Lord. He is not like us, where we expose and we screenshot and we do things to embarrass people. God is not trying to embarrass you. He loves you. And more exposure to a good God is a good thing. He wants more of your life. And so this is our tension. This is our tension. The Magi, they looked, they saw this light, they followed it, they worshiped. This is the pattern of our lives. Wherever we see the Lord moving, we follow it. And then we follow wherever it is. We seek out Jesus and we worship him. That is the pattern of our lives. It's so easy. I was teaching this week out in Pennsylvania. I was doing a treat out there and I was talking to this one guy who had some issues in his life and I just told him man I was like hey man just you know just keep praying keep seeking and he 
He's like, oh, I don't know. I said, well, man, just, you know, I want to encourage you, man. You know, um, God says he'll sanctify us, yes, but growth is not guaranteed, man. I mean, you got to, you got to, you have to seek out the Lord. And he looked at me and he says, man, I don't, I don't know if I still can. I'm, I'm tired. I mean, I, I still have this habit in my life. I, I don't see me stopping. I don't see me changing. And some of you, when you first started walking with the Lord, you were running. But now, you're not seeing as many explosive things happen. Maybe there's some areas of your life where there's some strongholds holding you back. There's some sin that's creeping in that you are not allowing anyone to know about. And you're keeping it quiet. Because you think the Lord's going to be loud. He's going to hurt you. But you know, when the Holy Spirit is inside of you, you may keep living away, but it'll never be comfortable. I'm just telling you. I mean, I'm just telling you right now. (laughs) You cannot be comfortable with God's presence inside of you living in sin. It'll never be comfortable. (laughs) Man, you remember when you were a kid, you were watching a TV show, and you're there, and you're watching it, and it's like, you know, it was great, and then all of a sudden, like, there's this, like, mad, like, sexual scene that comes on, and you're just like, your mom's looking at you, and you're like... Anybody want some popcorn or anything from the kitchen? Because, oh, my God. Um, yeah, because you can't. But look, when she's not there, you're like, oh, snap. Amazing, right? Which is When you're in that presence, you just can't do it. And this is what I'm saying. John 1, 5 says the light's still shining. You may be in the dark, but the light is shining in the darkness. Oh, it's shining. It's shining. The Spirit of God is still shining. He's still illuminating you. You're not comfortable. Because the light is shining, and I don't care how much sin you get in, the darkness will not overcome the light. It will not overcome the light. The Lord will pursue you, and I don't care how much you stiff arm him, he will still come after you because the light shines in the darkness. And guess what? The darkness can't overcome it. It can't overcome it. No matter how dark, your life may feel it will not be overcome at light. So what do we do? Keep pressing towards the light. Allow God to expose every area of your life. Confess all that you have. Because this toddler king that came, the Magi got it right. They laid down their gifts They got on their knees and they say, this baby knows life more than me. Have my life, every area. And if life is found in the light, if life abundantly is found in this light, then say, God, expose me. Expose more, God. Take all of me. Take every area of my life. It's yours. Because you're
your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts and the way you know life is better. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We ask you tonight, change us. Change us. Make us more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.